0: What's the place of music in the Christian life, and how have Kiwi musicians been inspired by God? In the last few decades hello and welcome back to the god story podcast i'm brent siddle and my co-host as always is ian reed the reverend ian reed of king's grace presbyterian church palmas north in new zealand and our special guest this morning or today because you're listening on a podcast at any time of day. So we're joined now by Brett Wilson. Brett Wilson, a musician and songwriter who lives in Hamilton, New Zealand, and who's taught music for some 20 years at tertiary level. He's now communications coordinator at CBS, a Hamilton-based health IT company. Brett is the author of a fascinating recent book from Castle Publishing in New Zealand called Let's Back Up a Bit, Conversations with Pioneering kiwi christian musicians and brett joins us from hamilton now brett hi
1: hello that that is all true and correct
0: is i'm pleased about that that's a good start you'd be surprised to know how many interviews i am actually that got that right
1: (laughs) brett are christians afraid of music oh gee diving straight into the to the big questions i think um i think historically they were um uh, i'm not sure if If that's still the case, though, so that's uh, it's it's quite interesting to look back on my upbringing at least and um, just uh, notice how I don't know about you, but I I was brought up to believe certainly by certain leaders. Um, my parents were pretty good about it, but you know, they would uh, there were teachings against rock and roll, um, which I don't see anymore. I don't, you know, I don't think youth groups. Uh, having uh, anti-rock nights where you go along and watch a video on, on the evils of rock and roll. But that was something that I did in my, in, in my youth group.
0: Did you, you, did you used to bust up your cassette tapes and vinyl? <laughs> Shock horror.
1: Yeah, well, I didn't personally, but many, many people in my circles did do that. And they were simply reacting to what they were being taught and, and uh, doing what they thought was the right thing at the time. But, yeah, it, it, interesting to look back and, and, and um, I would just find it whole, the whole thing fascinating. Mm. Rita, I'm gonna But bring I find you in. it fascinating that it doesn't happen anymore.
0: Yeah, and that's interesting. Why, why do you think that's happened? Rita, I'm going to bring you in for your thoughts
1: on this too. I just think we've gotten more wise. Once upon a time, we would have um, usually white men um, yelling from the pulpit, reacting to—I uh, think rock and roll in the 1950s p- perhaps took them took them off off guard. They were surprised by it, and they didn't know how to react to it. Um, that's weird,
0: isn't it? Because when you think back to the early rockers, people like Elvis and Johnny Cash and Carl Perkins yeah. and Jerry Lee they all come from a Pentecostal background.
1: Exactly. They yeah, sang gospel. Yeah, they did. Yeah, and um, for me personally, um, I actually grew up on the music of Jimmy Swagger. Mm. Who a lot of people might remember as um, a, a television evangelist, yep. but he was very outspoken against rock and roll. But the irony, really, is that um, his cousin is Jerry Lee Lewis, the the uh, the wild rock and roller of the 1950s, who just tore it up on the piano. And um, you know, back then that was pretty worldly, out there music. And um, so you got his cousin uh, Jimmy Swaggart, the very famous evangelist. Outspoken uh, against rock and roll, but funny every time that Jimmy swagger would take a piano solo in his, what you might call Southern gospel, it just sounded like Jerry Lee Lewis. <laughs> to me. I mean, he was he was awesome. Yeah, but I can like, remember him. What? Yeah, he was He's awesome. Yeah. But where do you draw the line, Jimmy? I'm not. Sure. It's it's quite hazy there <laughs> as to what you know what music is acceptable and what yeah. what music is not acceptable.
2: Okay. To the aid Of a man Like me Who will come To the aid of a man Of poverty And who will rescue the ship From the wayward sea Who will come To the aid like me. I'm
0: just Sorry. going to bring Rito in on this because he's a yeah, pastor. Rito, have you been out burning your vinyls and cassette tapes yeah. recently?
3: I'm, I'm one of those white male, from the, you know, yelling from the pulpit kind of guys. <laughs> um, Do you play the piano like <laughs> Jerry no, DeFellis?
0: Do you play the piano You've like, that like anti,
3: Jerry anti-rock <laughs> sermons? I haven't preached any anti-rock sermons lately. I think people would be reasonably shocked by my taste in music <laughs> as well. But there, there is a real uh, kind of dualism, isn't there, that the stuff of the world cannot uh, bring any glory to God in any way, that there can't be any beauty created kind of there. And so we kind of have to reject it. Uh, and it's only the kind of uh, the stuff that's either created by Christians that that god enjoys where we've we've kind of you know there's this real separation of the of the world from kind of the church rather than there being a a distinction and that god is glorified in all realms and i just think it's to our detriment that we've kind of done that
0: yes and I i think yeah one of the things we've got we need to do as a church is to think about music and the role of what what is a theology of music i mean i watched a video of mahalia jackson the other night and i thought this is actually R I and mean, B, and it's black gospel. But to all intents and purposes, if you took away the words, it would be you could, you could pass yeah. it off as fifties R and B. So where do you draw the line? What yeah. actually is Christian music?
1: Well, yeah, I've stopped using the term Christian music or even secular music because it's too hard to define. If it's all about the lyrics, then you know you have Christian artists like Phil Keggy who basically um, produces instrumental music. So how do you define that? Is that Christian music? If it is, well, how is it? Because there's, there are no lyrics. So, you know, it gets quite um, hazy. Am
0: I right, Brett and, and Rito, in thinking that a lot of the famous hymns, the Wesleyan hymns, are actually all based on songs that people used to sing in the pub? That's what I've heard. So how do we, we get around that one? It's interesting, isn't it? Is there then something of God in all music?
1: That's what um, at least two people in my book have, have said. We haven't mentioned my book yet. Can I mention it? We're getting, getting <laughs> onto the book. Yes, we've mentioned the book. We've, we're
0: getting on the book. This is just the prelude. This is just the general discussion. We're oh, coming onto oh, the book, brother. Yeah. Don't panic.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Derek Lind and Dave White, two interviewees in the book, have, have um, basically said that, which I find interesting that there's uh, an element of God in all, in all music. And I think, well, uh, it has to be true at least to a certain extent because God created music. Now, it's up to the, um, the, the, uh, the person who's writing the music as to what they do with that lyrical content, etc. But yeah, I thought that was a really good point that, that two people brought up.
0: We'll come on to talk a bit more about the role of the Holy Spirit in music a bit later on because there's much to be discussed. But you mentioned Dave White and the Revs. And to what right. extent, to what extent does Dave feel that he was restricted musically by the church
1: too in his early years. I think most, well, a lot of people around that age uh, felt some pushback, not everybody, but yeah, it was just questionable as to what you were doing. You were using what some people regarded as the devil's music, perhaps to to spread the gospel, although uh, in the Revs case, they, they were actually a covers band, but they, they twisted the songs into their own kind of... Um, you know they made the song of their own, so that they were using other people's lyrics, but to a certain extent there was some pushback from uh, more conservative people in the church to that were questioning why are you um, messing around with uh, what we regard as the devil's music you know why would you even even go there and then and then on top of that, why would you perhaps not in the Reeves um, case, but why would you then try and put um, Christian lyrics on top of the devil's music you know and you can probably see from their point of view that that's quite blasphemous but I just think it was um I think I think these people had good intentions they were they were just trying to look after the 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 young people um and like I say I think they were surprised and taken uh, off guard by this whole rock music thing and they didn't like it they simply didn't like the music and they didn't know how to uh react to it and uh, I think they went a bit far by trying to come up with um, spiritual reasons or, you know, some scripture perhaps uh, that might defend their, you know, why young people shouldn't be messing around with rock and roll, but I do think their intentions were were good.
0: To uh, look at the book, and you've chosen. Why did you decide to choose the interview format for the book?
1: I like it. I've read, you know, Rolling Stone magazine or all sorts of magazines um, for, you know, thirty years or or whatever. But I was particularly inspired by. um, There's a a book called Bono on Bono, and um, I can't remember the guy who who does the interviews, but they obviously the the two of them, you know, Bono from U two, and the author. Uh, obviously, had a great relationship. They've known each other for for years, and uh, that's the whole book's just an interview format. And so I really like that. I think it's a really good way for the um, interviewees to to get uh, their words across because it's you know it's their words. Yeah, it's not history. me just you know paraphrasing. It's direct from the horse's mouth, so to speak.
0: Mm, and there's a lot of history there. A lot of fascinating history that I didn't know or had forgotten. Um, right. how, did the, how did the contemporary Kiwi Christian music scene actually develop?
1: From the Jesus uh, movement in the uh, late 60s and uh, early 70s. Uh, not that I was around then, but... Um, I was. Uh, were you? Do you I remember was very young,
0: I was very young.
1: You don't remember oh, any of that? Eh? I, 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 mean, I enjoyed first, talking to people who, who the were there. The very first single,
0: I, the very first 45. You remember 45s, Brett, don't you? You're a 45 man. Seven I've inch,
1: been to 40. a museum...
0: <laughs> me. my very first 45 that i bought was at the age of four when i asked my dad if i could have a copy of put your hand in the hand by a group called ocean that was in 1971 wow. yeah and it was a top 10 hit, a fabulous song and that was part of that early jesus movement thing yeah have you still got it yeah! Wow! Yeah, that's great. Played it to bits, and I absolutely loved it. I think my dad only bought it because he thought, well, it's actually got some Christian stuff, and for the young kid, it'd be good, you know, do his soul. Mm. Good. But I just like the music. I like the rhythm. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: So the Jesus movement was largely in the in the west coast of America, wasn't it? But I think it uh, certainly had, uh, you know, it uh, spread around the globe, and, and New Zealand was part of that, from from what I understand. And so you had a whole bunch of young people all of a sudden becoming Christians, and they brought along with them the, uh, the music that they grew up with, which was rock and roll. And uh, so you had people like Larry Norman um, setting Christian lyrics to rock and roll, which um, was, was controversial at the time, but it launched into this thing called contemporary Christian music. It basically um, set up a whole industry and a whole parallel universe, really, um, to what was going on in, in the world, uh, for for better or for worse. I mean, for worse because one of their motivations was to to see people come to Christ through their music. But because of the parallel universe, you're now preaching to the choir. So,
4: you know, it had it had, yeah, yeah. That's had one of the nuts. themes. Of,
0: yeah, that's one of your themes of your book, isn't it? That to what extent is Christian music expected to have an evangelistic message?
1: Mm. I think it worked for a while, I, you know, I think it was, it was effective in the early days of, of Christian music, of uh, Jesus music, and in the early days of CCM, I think, um, you know, there's, uh, there's plenty of evidence that people got saved through going to concerts, um, it might have been an Amy Grant concert, or a Striper, or a Petra concert, or whoever it was. I don't think it's working anymore. I'm not entirely sure uh, why that might be. Uh all I can say is that it did work for a, for a time and um, but I think music is just, you know, people's response and people's the way people value music has changed as well over, over time. So that probably plays a part in it as well.
0: Well, you and I talked before the interview started uh, off mic about the Youth for Christ movement and certain sounds, and we come on to talk about that because you were in certain sounds a bit, I certainly remember certain mm-hmm. sounds. What was the importance of the Youth for Christ movement f- to the development of Kiwi Christian musicians like yourself?
1: Huge, yeah, it was huge. I mean, th- this was the day where um, you did have Radio Rima back in the 80s, um, although we didn't have it in Hamilton, I don't think, so it was in, in um, select places that could get it, but Radio Rima really was for grown ups. It, it didn't play. I don't think it played a lot of rock and roll back <laughs> back in those days. So for youth, you know, how could you get exposed to um, this? This really was new music, new rock and roll with with Christian lyrics. And so yeah, youth requires putting on monthly shows at your local town hall, playing this uh, music that appealed to young people. I mean, you just had to get there. It was just such a, an important event on your calendar, and uh, the quality was top notch for the time. It'd be interesting to go back in your time machine and check it out now. But it Whoa, was they were they were good. Certain yeah. Sounds was a good band. Yeah, yeah. yeah I oh thank you. <laughs> I was in, that well, in how, 1994.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I would have <laughs> I would have been hearing them fairly regularly, I think, but it would be through the early to mid 80s
1: when I was a teenager. Mm. So how did you get involved with it then? Uh through Dave White. Uh Dave um he worked for YFC in Hamilton. Uh he was responsible for these uh, the monthly shows. We called them rallies back then. I don't mm. know you did. why we would, yeah, why we would what what's up with that word? It sounds quite militant to me, but
0: Well, no, I think it was part of the whole Billy Graham thing too from uh, yeah. the time and a rally. It it uh, I think I think if I remember rightly, I think they used to occasionally call for decisions at the end of a meeting or a gig. Am I yes. right in remembering yes, that? Yeah. Oh absolutely.
1: Yeah. yeah. E- every single time. Yeah.
0: I, can't, I so can I can remember that.
4: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So they've put on these uh, shows monthly. I mean, imagine trying to put on a show every month. Yeah. It's just a phenomenal workload there. But uh, but, you know, he would call upon local musicians to help take part in, in the show. And I happened to be one of them. And so I kind of got to know him through that. And he asked me to, to join him on Certain Sounds in 1994. But what, what I find interesting about Certain Sounds, and there was another one called Y1, which is also interesting. That I Not only was there, was, there, was there Certain Sounds touring for the year and then changing the lineup every, every year, giving you know, everyone a go who, who wanted to audition, but you also had two of them happening at the same time, um, whereas today you have none of them. <laughs> there, it doesn't happen these days. What but was what I was, uh, yeah, what what was going to say was that both both bands were essentially covers bands. Mm. You're playing other people's music and thousands of people are tuning up in droves to hear it. And, and now that to me is fascinating. Uh, that wouldn't happen today. I, I, I just think become a bit more... I don't know, authentic in our in our musical choices. The or music is so accessible. You know, you you think of a song that you want to hear, you can dial it up online easily. So to go and hear a covers band is kind of pointless now, whereas you can hear the, the real
0: thing. Yeah, that's right. I mean in those days, I'm thinking 70s, 80s, when I was growing up, even nineties, um, music was hard to get to. I mean, you oh. had your local radio station and yeah. And it costs money, real money to buy LPs. And people talk about exactly. the, the wonder of vinyl, but they were expensive by the they standards were. of people's wages in those days. And there wasn't a lot of music on them. And often the, the easiest way to get stuff was to buy the, the 45, the seven inch, the single. That's right. An A side and a B side. Yeah.
4: yeah.
1: And so that throws up a whole another discussion on the, on the value of music. And I just heard an interview with Sting the other day, he was talking about how you know you can just go to Spotify and listen to anything you want, hmm. and it, and it's for free. Um, so yeah, how does people value music now if, if that's the case? Whereas, like you said, you had to save up your pennies to hear that music.
0: Oh, several weeks of pocket money went to, to <laughs> buy a, a a vinyl LP in my case, yeah. and uh, used to take me. And I used to have a list of the ones I wanted, and it took me about five, six, seven weeks to. Build up the money anyway. That's just, just all, this is all memories. It's great stuff. Um, what uh, was Derek lind We're trying to come and talk about, about some of the people you've interviewed in the book. Was was Derek Lind the the godfather of contemporary music in New Zealand?
1: No, oh, we, we, we might get into trouble with some other people who who might or one of um, them feel more worthy of that title. Yeah, you know, yeah, one of them. It's certainly one of them. Yeah, I mean, he's important. He's important. Not only be, not only because of the time that he uh, came about playing music, because it was early for, for New Zealand for a Christian guy to be doing it, but also b- because of the quality, uh, he was do- not only doing it, but he was doing it at a high quality. Uh, so yeah, I mean that that term was given to him by um, Dave White, and and in more recent years, we've kind of all been in bands together. He started off playing in in a, in a Bob Dylan tribute band that we appeared at uh, a few parachute festivals. And so we've kind of uh, become friends. But, uh, yeah, Dave White called him the Godfather. But, you know, I think there's a bit of truth to that. How important were David and Dale Garrett
0: in introducing a new style of uh, praise and worship music to New Zealand churches?
1: Well, it doesn't get any more important, really. I mean, I think a lot of your listeners will will probably know uh, David and Dale Garrett and the brand um, scripture and song. I mean, it's just what they were doing in the 70s is, is now what Hillsong have been doing for 20 years or so. Not only, I mean, there's so many of them now, isn't there Planet Shakers and uh, Bethel Music, or I mean, the list goes on and on and on. We, they're essentially selling um, worship music in the millions. Well, David and Dale Garrett started that whole thing. Scripture and song, you know, they were selling Song books, uh, collections of songs, often written by Kiwis, not always, but and selling them in the millions. Um, and, and before that was, was hymns. And now you had this new way of um, a new style of uh, praise and worship music. You know, People called them, started call, calling them choruses. Do you remember
0: that? Uh, I can remember singing choruses in a Pentecostal church in New Zealand in the 70s.
1: Hmm. And did your church have the the scripture and song books?
0: I think we did, and we also had an overhead projector. <laughs> <laughs> an OHP. Yeah. An OHP. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, gosh, I can remember all that stuff.
3: Yeah. Uh, Rita, were you oh. back with us? Are you? Do oh, you yeah. remember
0: Youth for Christ? Did you have Youth for Christ in Australia?
3: Uh, it wasn't as big. Uh, there were other movements though that were uh, kind of around, and it depended kind of which kind of. Arm of the church, you're a part of the you know, kind of what you're a part of.
0: Okay, well, we're coming on to talk about Stephen Bell Booth, is an interesting character. Um, Brett, yeah. I was interested to, to read about him, and it seems that he's kind of completely gone off the music scene.
1: Uh, he has, yeah. I mean, he's a successful businessman, um, with Bell Booth Limited. Um, I, I hope I said that right, agriculture products. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I remember him. Back in the day, he was a bit of an elder statesman of, in the music scene for me, but, but what I do remember is that his, the quality of his recordings were just on par with anything that was going on in the secular world. I kind of always thought that he was an um, uh, equivalent of Elton John. It was that, that kind of, you know, Billy Joel, Elton John, uh, a singer-songwriter at the keyboard, but also the quality of the songwriting and the, and the production was just um, top-notch. Easy-listening music, but, but very good. And, man, he's, he's won the accolades, too. I mean, there's the, the, the biggest prize you can get in songwriting in New Zealand is called the Opera Silver Scroll Award. And Stephen Bell Booth has won it twice.
4: Mm.
1: <laughs> now, no, not no many people feat. have. No, I mean, feat. it's That's a great. huge feat to win it once. Mm. Mm. Neil Finn's won it once. You know Neil Finn. I mean, he's one of mm. the country's greatest songwriters. Mm. Mm. Even Bill Booth won it twice. Yeah. And I asked him in the book, you know, well, what does that mean to you? It doesn't mean anything to you that you won. Nah. He said, <laughs> "I saw that." <laughs> he's quite, very, you know, he answers his questions very quickly and to the point. And uh, do you he think he's do, just, do you
0: think he's disillusioned by the whole thing? Is that what, what? What? Or has he just moved on?
1: I think he's just moved on. Mm. Yeah. I, yeah. Mm. I, I did. I think I did ask him. Maybe it was off off the record. I can't remember. He no, didn't. He didn't seem disillusioned. He just. Um, he's just moved on from it. One of the but are, I, I did notice that he uh, since the interview that he has, um, um, popped up on social media and on Spotify with his music. So um, uh, I felt kind of a little bit chuffed by that. He's done just a quite.
0: recent. He's done a recent new song, hasn't he? I think. Is, yeah, it's a twenty-three right. minute piece of music.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But he's also released one of his older albums on Spotify. I'm not sure if he's done released anything else since. I I haven't had a look for a while. But yeah, I think that's awesome. Because people need to be, that's kind of the point of the book, is that people need to, we need to remember these people. We need to know that they existed. Because the world does it so well. You know, we've just had this amazing documentary by the Beatles, or on the Beatles called Get Back, which Peter Jackson's done an amazing job of of saying, hey, this is what happened in history. You might remember, let it be the film is this depressing thing, but no, actually, this is actually what happened. And we can watch that. We can go to it and say, yes, these people existed and they did amazing things.
0: Mm. Uh, Looked as though they were having fun and looked as though they were having fun when they weren't supposed to. (laughs) Everybody reckoned they weren't. That's right. Because that was near the end of their time, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, that's right. Mm. And so that's a, it's a, an amazing um, artifact, important artifact to have to say that this is, this is what went down. But it's, it's, I think it's important to note that, that these artifacts don't really exist a lot in the, Christian, in the Christian world, in Christian music, you know. If I said to the average Christian, perhaps under the age of 40, hey, uh, do you remember that band Petra? I would say probably 90% of them would say, I don't know who you're talking about, which is, which is quite sad because Petra was huge, I mean the- hugely important mm. for Christian music. Um, and so my point is, is that you know, I don't think um, the Christian, uh, perhaps the Christian music industry or just in Christian circles, we don't do too well to celebrate our, our pioneering musicians. And um, um, that was the whole reason for the book. I've have t- talked to um, some seven, not many seven, but all seven are um, pioneering in their own way. But just important to our, our local uh, story in Christian music.
0: I was going to ask you how many, uh, how much visual and audio material actually survives of the of the seven um, artists you've mentioned. Yeah. In the book.
1: did they actually yeah, not, record
0: record a lot? Yeah,
1: not not a lot. I mean, you know, compared to today's standards, you, you know. If, you would say that there's, yeah. you know, comparatively, there's hardly any. But you have to remember that recording back in those days was much more expensive. I mean, you can do it at home these days if you wanted to, um, or you can just do something live on YouTube or, you know, the, the options are so um, vast these days compared to the 1980s where you had to save up thousands and thousands of dollars to go to a professional recording studio. So the, the Revs, for example, didn't record at all. Not at uh, all? Hoy, nothing? And not, not at all, nothing. <laughs> Is there any video it,
0: of
5: them?
1: Yeah, I think there's one clip, uh, a local musician in Auckland by the name of Dallas Graham. He um, posted up something historical from the 80s um, on a programme called Danny's Cafe, Danny Watson. But yeah, apart from that, there's there's, there's nothing. Uh, Hoi Poloi... It, there's a few of their albums. Um, they were the first Kiwi Christian band to sign to an international label. So that's pretty important. So there's a bit of their stuff. Like I said, before the interview of Stephen Bell Booth, there was nothing. So after after my interview, he kindly put some stuff up. So that was great. Steve Apurana, yeah, his, musical, his music's out there. It's on Spotify. You can, you can check that out. Same with Derek Lind. Uh, Phil Joel from from Drinkwater, he's only this year has he put up uh, Drinkwater's album called Three Mookie Vibes. But he, of course, Phil Joel is more famous for being in the in the band the Newsboys. You guys know the Newsboys. Mm-hmm. I've heard of the Newsboys. Yep, yep, yeah, yep. Uh, they might still be the biggest Christian band on the planet. I don't know. They certainly were when Phil was in the band. So yeah, maybe it's. Maybe it's coming back the music, the, the accessibility to the music, uh, but it's sometimes it's hard to come by. Mm,
0: well, I think having having a book like this is, is obviously prompted these these uh, artists to get some stuff up on the on the net where people can access it. You're not thinking yeah, of turning maybe. you're not thinking of turning this into a movie or a a video <laughs> or of some sort.
1: I might be in cahoots with Peter Jackson.
4: <laughs> well, I can't,
1: yeah, I can't confirm or deny that. we'll save that for the next interview we will
0: well just before we go gentlemen I must ask you uh, Brett especially uh, advice today for young Christian musicians bearing in mind all that we've talked
1: about Uh, advice write good songs
0: write good songs
1: yeah um, study your craft of songwriting don't get um, too hung up on whether it's Christian enough or not Christian enough because I think uh, God is interested in <laughs> every topic mm. under the sun, not just um, whether God loves me or not. And that's a that's a hugely important topic. But there are so many things that we could be singing about, uh, and so so singing about them, and 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 do it well. Study your craft and write good songs. And if you're if you're hung up about whether it's going to get noticed or not, well, bad songs are never going to get noticed. They might get noticed for the wrong reasons. But if you've written a good song, then that's where it all starts there.
0: And advice to pastors and church leaders from both of you about how to encourage our young musicians, Kiwi musicians. We need a, we do we need a better theology of music.
3: <laughs> I, I thought what, what Brent said there was uh, was spot on is that we want we need to encourage artists just to make good art, don't we? No, yeah. no matter no matter what it looks like in, in terms of just expressing that what it means to be a human in this world. It, And that's good. We we need to really be you know, really celebrating our our artists in our churches. And it doesn't have to be kind of over-the-top Christian stuff, but it it can kind of just be good art. And I think that's what gets noticed.
1: Mm, 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 mm. Preacher, brother. Mm, Absolutely. I think there's a there's a there's a time and a place for for overt Christian lyrics and especially in worship music. Kind of needs to be. But yeah, just make good art. That's good.
0: Because the Holy Spirit inspires, I believe, all art in one form or the other. There is something of God in, um, I remember having this discussion 40 years ago about music with somebody, and they said, well, something so beautiful, there is something of God, there's got to be something of God in it. And I believe that's true, profoundly so. Thank you, Brett. Brett Wilson, uh, who Thank is you. the author of this recent book from Castle Publishing in New Zealand called Let's Back Up a Bit, Conversations with Pioneering Kiwi Christian Musicians. And uh, we'll have a link. To, where can people find you on the net, Brett?
1: Uh, people can find me on Facebook, uh, Brett Wilson Music NZ. Uh, I post a lot of music on there, but you can message me on there. I'm on Instagram as well, Brett Wilson six six seven. Yeah, but the, the book is available on on um, Amazon, Kobo, uh, Book Depository, uh, all sorts of places. Yeah, I, can I just book? say? Yeah, can I just say that it's available on the Vision College website. Where if you're in New Zealand, you can um, it's free shipping, so it's twenty seven fifty, and that's free shipping. So if you're in New Zealand, that's probably the best place to go. Awesome. the Vision College website, and just scroll down, you'll see a little uh, picture of the cover of the book. Let's back up a bit, but it's available in the bookstores as well.
0: Mm. We'll put a link to the uh, we'll put a link to one of them on our podcast page, Brett. Yeah, okay. So, Brett Wilson and Ian Reed, Reverend Ian Reed of Kings Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston, North New Zealand. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Thanks very much. For those of you who want to hear the complete music tracks included in this podcast, here they are again. First up, No Turning Back by Steve Aperana from his 1992 album of the same name. Then A Man Like Me by Derek Lind from his debut album Mixed Blessings from 1986. We feature the re-recorded version from his 2000 best of Salvo with Steve Aperana on backing vocals. Then finally Wonderful God by Stephen Belbooth from his 1999 album Food for the Journey. You can find details of all the music tracks included in our podcast on our webpage www.godstorypodcast.com including details of where you can obtain them and details of Brett Wilson's own website containing archive material.
6: I have decided to follow Jesus No turning back, no turning back I have decided to follow Jesus No turning back, no turning back My friends are say I'm going the wrong way But I say that's alright, I say that's okay The cross before me, the world behind me No turning back, no turning back The cross before me, the world behind me No turning back, no turning back My friends will say I'm going the wrong way But I say that's alright, I say that's okay turning back, my friends all say, I'm going the wrong way, but I say that's alright, I say that's okay, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. No turning back My friends all say I'm going the wrong way My friends all say I'm going the wrong way My friends all say I'm going the wrong way Yes, that's what they say But I say that's alright I say that's okay I say that's "That's alright I say that's okay I say that's alright, say that's okay, say that's alright, say that's okay, say that's alright, say that's okay, that's alright, that's okay, that's alright, that's okay, that's alright, that's okay, say that's alright. That's alright That's okay That's alright I say just wait and see
2: To the aid Of a man Like me Who will come To the aid of a man Of poverty And who will rescue the ship From the wayward sea Who will come To the aid a man like me I've been under faith I've been overdrawn I've been walking this fine line for much too long I've been looking for you in all the wrong places I've been out on a limb I've been over my head I've been sleeping too long in the wrong bed I've been looking for you And all the wrong faces Who will come to the aid of a man like me? Who will come to the aid of a man of poverty? Who will rescue the ship from the way one sees? Who will come to the aid of man? I've been sleeping too long in the wrong bed I've been looking for you And all the wrong faces Who will come to the aid of a man like me Who will come to the aid of a man of poverty Who will rescue the ship from the way? What see? Who will come to the aid of a man like me? Who will come to the aid of a man like
5: The